Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm a partner at Skybridge Capital, which is a global alternative investment firm. I'm also the managing partner of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum focused on investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, which we're excited to resume here in September of 2022. But our goal at those conferences and our goal here on these SALT talks is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big, important ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to welcome Lynn Baranski to SALT Talks. Uh, Lynn is a managing director and the global head of investments for BlackRock Private Equity Partners within the BlackRock Alternative Investors Unit of the business. She's a member of the BAI Executive Committee and the PEP's Management Committee, Investment Committee, and Valuation Committee. Ms. Baranski's service with the firm dates back all the way to 1997, including her years with Merrill Lynch Investment Managers, which merged with BlackRock in 2006. Uh, Lynn has an extremely accomplished bio. I'm not going to get into the whole thing. I'll let her tell you a little bit about it in her own words. But I will say she graduated with a bachelor's degree in history and art history from Wake Forest University, which is my mother's alma mater. So you've already scored points with me in that regard, Lynn. Go Deeks. Uh, she also has an MBA degree in finance from Vanderbilt University in Nashville. Lynn, it's a pleasure to have you on Salt Talks. Like I said, I got a little bit into your bio there, but we always like to start every conversation here on Salt Talks with, in your own words, what was your sort of uh, upbringing, educational journey, and then professional journey that led you to where you are today at BlackRock? Oh, great. It's so nice to be with you today, and thank you so much for having me. Uh, so you, you highlighted my, my academic career, which was history and art history, but somehow I've ended up where I am today. Um, I would just say my professional journey really started when I got out of business school and I joined Nations Bank in Charlotte, North Carolina, which then became Bank of America. And after a short training program in Charlotte, I had the opportunity to move to New York City and I joined a newly formed group at that time, which was focused on calling on private equity firms to really help arrange high-yield bonds and leverage loans to finance leverage buyouts. And that was my first real introduction to the private equity world. Um, after a few years of banking, I decided to trade in my hat and I moved from the sell side to the buy side and began working with Malim, as you mentioned earlier, that ultimately became BlackRock. And I worked in a group um, that managed mutual fund portfolios that invested in leverage loans and high-yield bonds. Um, and during my period with that group, I had the great opportunity not only to work in the U.S., but also to work in Europe. And then if I fast forward a little bit, in 2001, I was recruited to join the, the group that I'm really part of today. And 20 years later, I'm part of Private Equity Partners. We affectionately call ourselves PEP. And um, I really joined the group at that time. Um, I had the opportunity to re-engage in private equity. And I got back to building those relationships with the general partner community um, while I was also analyzing deals as a co-investor. And it was a real natural fit for my background, which was credit research, relationship building. And it was the perfect opportunity for me to bring my whole skill set um, into this new opportunity back in 2001 to join you know, what was the beginning of PEP. Um, yeah. But if you look, yeah. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit more about PEP? I think a lot of people, when they think of BlackRock, it's the world's largest asset manager, have uh, business lines across all types of different investment fields. Could you tell us a little bit more about the private equity partners group at BlackRock? 
Sure. We've been on a long journey. It was really formed in 1999, but you know, sort of our, our, our three reasons for, for starting the business really do still exist today. One is to make direct private equity investments into companies around the world. Secondly, we make investments in traditional and non-traditional secondary um, opportunities. And thirdly, we commit capital to really the best private equity managers across the globe from venture capital all the way up to buyout. Um, since I joined the business, and I joined when it was, we had not closed on our first fund yet, but we built the business today into what I would say is a leading private equity platform. We have over $45 billion in assets under management, and I think we have one of the longest track records in the space. And, you know, to, to operate, we really leverage the size and the scale of BlackRock and our network of over 450 private equity relationships globally to find attractive investment opportunities. And increasingly, companies, management team, general partners, and other investors are coming to BlackRock and my team to really understand the benefits that BlackRock can bring to their organization as a partner. For example, today, although you know, we are generally investing in a current capital raise, we like to offer more than that. And we talk to our managers and management teams about looking into the future, how we can also introduce them to our credit teams to get access to the debt markets. And one day, if a company aspires to go public, we certainly will probably be their largest investor on the public side. So management teams really see the benefit of having BlackRock in the capital stack and being a strategic partner to them as they grow their businesses. Let's talk a little bit about the economy and markets, because I think you know, everything that we do is in the context of the broader environment. And we've certainly seen, seen market shifts in the macroeconomic environment in the first three quarters of 2022. What are some of those key shifts uh, that you guys have observed? And how is that changing your approach, if at all, uh, within investing in the private equity space? Certainly. So private markets... Um, and private equity are not immune to the challenges of the broader economy and the broader you know, business environment in which they're operating. And across the board, we've seen a similar impact to what we've seen going on in the public space, um, especially in, the, I'd say, in the large cap growth space and tech sector, which has been especially hit hard in the public markets. Um, but overall, it really does appear that the market is pricing in a sust sustained period of slower growth perhaps a broader recession, which could lead to prolonged sales cycles, soft, softer top-line growth, and overall, um, you know, just a, a slower market environment. Um, I would say, though, even in the tech space, and certainly the tech companies have been, you know, in the spotlight lately, these companies should benefit longer term um, as companies look to offset what could be a rising cost environment, margins being squeezed, technology will be utilized to provide scale and efficiency and to try to offset some of those um, longer term uh, margin pressures that they might experience in today's market. Um, if I look overall, uh, we've seen a decline generally in deal activity since the start of the public market sell-off and, and rate increases. And we have certainly seen the cost of debt going up in the businesses that we're looking to finance. And that said, private equity investors are not sitting on the sidelines. You know, if I look back at, at you know, where we've come from over the last six months, first and foremost, they were looking inwardly uh, at their existing portfolio companies to be sure that they were prepared for a slower growth environment and rising rates. And now we're seeing them going actually on the offensive to actually do tuck-in acquisitions at more attractive uh, prices and to continue to drive accretive top-line growth. Um, to get economies of scale. 
But for newer deals, we're excited for uh, to have a dislocated market, actually, because it brings opportunity to find assets um, at attractive prices, often where the markets have over-rotated um, and are severely discounting really strong companies. Um, so we, um, we think the next 18 months will really offer attractive opportunities uh, for general partners to pivot strategies and start adjusting um, to the market, changing market dynamics. Um, just to give you one example of something we did recently, we own a company in the digital infrastructure space, and we just closed on a really attractive tuck-in acquisition um, that was a subsidiary of a company in bankruptcy. And we closed on that deal at a significant discount to where we acquired the, the platform business, which was much larger. But this acquisition will allow us to gain market share. We can drive top line growth and we can extract margins um, as we integrate the business. So it's been highly accretive to our overall business model. And we're finally actually able to execute on the tuck-in acquisitions, which we had found really expensive a year ago. Yeah. I also like to... I also like to remind um, people and our, our investors that, that volatility creates opportunity and no one can execute better on, on these opportunities than private equity investors. History has shown us over and over again that some of the very best vintage years follow recessions and market dislocations. And you could look back to the early 2000s and the tech telecom bubble or the, the vintage years following the GFC. Uh, so we, we welcome volatility and dislocation. Um, we may have some rough sailing here over the near term, but we really think we're going to see some interesting opportunities over the next six to nine months. Um, and, I, and, I, and just for example, I expect to see more take privates. We actually are already seeing more take privates in the market. I also think that we could see some corporate carve-outs as larger companies are really going to have to focus or refocus on their core businesses. Let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about what deal flow looks like at the moment uh, for the private equity industry. Uh, what are some examples of opportunities that you're seeing in the back half of the year uh, that may have grown out of some of the challenges in the market that you highlighted before? Yeah, sure. Um, so certainly deal flow has generally been strong depending on the region. The U.S. has held up pretty well, you know, being the most, most robust economic environment right now. Europe has slowed down a bit, and Asia has been slow for a while, no surprise, given the COVID lockdowns and inability to travel and really do proper due diligence. However, I, I should say we're starting to see some pickup in activity in Asia as well. Um, one driver of deal flow is obviously the rate environment and the fact that debt is not readily available right now, uh, uh, certainly as compared to 12 months or even nine months ago. We're seeing bids go in subject to getting that financing arranged. And certainly private credit has stepped up to fill in part of that gap um, to some degree, but it's much more expensive than it was nine months ago. Also, I should mention our better managers are being more cautious about building buffer into their into the capital stack in the event for a harder landing. Um, and we've seen many deals where GPs are, you know, are getting outbid. But we love to partner with people who have who maintain price discipline in today's environment. So although we are looking at a lot of deals, we're actually finding that um, our GPs are getting outbid on certain transactions. Uh, in the growth space, we're seeing companies curtailing spending, and you've read about it in the paper. You know, there are people being, you know, certain firms are firing people, cutting their expenses. And in the growth space, certainly companies are trying to push off their next capital raise as long as possible. For those that do need to raise capital, they're first trying to get venture debt, which is not a very deep market. Then they'll try to open up 
maybe their last financing round um, at the same valuation. But for those companies that really need to raise new series of capital, we're seeing much you know, more um, structure in those deals, liquidation preferences, sometimes up to 2x liquidation preferences, and certainly more structural pr protections um, in those series financing. Other opportunities, um, you know, we love buy and build strategies. We love um, consolidation strategies. We like corporate carve-outs, take privates. Certainly a really hot market right now is the secondary market where I would say there's more uh, deal flow than there is capital. And we think the secondary market is offering att really attractive opportunities and for those who have capital. Other themes that we're looking at is onshoring and nearshoring. As companies are rethinking um, their supply chains and, and diversifying their supply chains. And I, I'd like to add like all of these strategies and opportunities that I've just talked about, re you really can't recreate those in the public market. So it's really exciting to be able to, again, take advantage of the, the market and the private markets to deliver some of these strategies and opportunities for Alpha and, and our clients' portfolios. You mentioned how private equity managers are adjusting their strategies in the current environment. In what ways have they become more discerning, in your opinion, um, and calculated about risk given the current macro environment that we're in? Yeah, they're definitely being more thoughtful about the macro environment. And no one has a crystal ball right now on what's going to happen. Um, they're more discerning and assuming a slower growth environment, lower margins, higher cost of debt. There's a renewed focus on getting the capital structure right to weather a harder landing um, if that scenario prevails. Um, but most of our GPs today are organized structurally by industry sectors, and they know their markets really, really well. And they can identify opportunities even in tough market cycles and tougher environments. And they take advantage of those market dislocations. And we've seen that over... Um, over again, especially where markets can over rotate or you know swing the pendulum swings too far, too far on discounting assets. Um, so honestly, um, you know you know one of that's one of the reasons we've seen the uptick in the take privates as well. You know, as I look out today, markets are changing really, really fast. And another way that our managers can be successful in this environment is to you know be able to manage the speed and volume of data that they you know, companies are, are producing and the markets are producing and how they can really digest that data, analyze the data and use it to gain a competitive edge. Now, working here at BlackRock, we have been working really hard to use data as an advantage to identify investment opportunities, to help in our due diligence process, to monitor our investments and to understand the risk in our portfolios. I'd say how managers use data going forward should continue to be a real area of focus to, to, for competitive advantage. And finally, it's really important to pick your partners wisely. <laughs> we like working with sponsor management teams that have weathered downturns, that have been able to successfully you know, work through market cycles, who've shown their ability to support companies through difficult times, and to understand not only where we are today in the market cycle, but how to really inform you of what the next about four or five or six years might look like in a market cycle as they manage these companies. So we've spent the last few minutes talking about you know, current market opportunities and challenges, but I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about the long-term trend that we've seen. There's increasing interest in private equity as an asset class and growth in the space overall. 
what do you think is driving that from your perspective and do you expect to see it continue? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. We've seen a tremendous amount of growth in the private equity space in the last 10 years. Now, in the last 10 years, assets under management have quadrupled while the number of investors has tripled. And why is that? You know, a lot of people, why is that happening? And it's really because the performance of private equity consistently over 20 years has delivered outperformance over the public markets. Consistently, we've seen private equity outperform from 300 to 600 basis points across all different market cycles and across vintage years. And, you know, that strong historical returns have actually led to sizable distributions coming back to the limited partners and investors have actually been sort of chasing to keep up with their target allocations, um, finding themselves often under allocated. Uh, so you can send or, can you continue to see those flows going back into the space. Um, I would say another reason that you're seeing investors into coming into the space is the, the need for diversification in an equities portfolio. The more sophisticated clients we're talking to, they no longer talk about their private portfolio and their public portfolio of equities. They're actually talking about their equities portfolio. And they're really able to add diversification by strategy, by company, by geography. Um, and often these companies are, you know, the, these private companies are growing much faster than the public companies and in complementary industry sectors. And um, so, the, you know, this really means if you really want to be invested fully in the equity opportunity side, you need a meaningful allocation to private equity. Um, you know, and I would also say private equity offers opportunities, as we've mentioned before, that you just can't recreate in the public markets, being the take privates, the buy and bills, the corporate carve outs. And then I would just say, finally, more recently, we've seen an evolution in the space as newer and more efficient fund structures are, have finally hit the market um, and are being delivered or delivering access to private equity to a broader subset of investors. And particularly in that space is high net worth and investors and accredited investors. So we've just seen a tremendous growth in the number of P investors over the last decade. It's really great to see. Could you talk a little bit more about those newer vehicles and structures and, and what impact those structures, if any, will have on the traditional private equity space? Yeah, it's great. I think it's great. It, we Really, over the last five years, we've seen a democratization in the private equity space, and the market has opened up to more and more investors, which is a great thing. In my opinion, for way too long, this the private equity space has only been avail available to institutional investors and the ultra high net worth individuals. Um, and many individuals really missed out on that return opportunity that private equity can offer um, um, investors. So we've seen, luckily, I'm so proud that we're seeing a lot of new structures um, like tender offer funds that provide access to private equity alongside the institutional investors. Here at Blackhawk, we have a fund that participates side by side in the same private equity deals underwritten for our institutional clients on the same terms, managed by the same team, but it offers the conveniences to our um, to investors of uh, individual investors with lower minimums. They have uh, quarterly redemption opportunities and they get a 1099 instead of a K1, which we all know is um, causes a lot of people, including institution headaches. So I'm really, I, mean, I would encourage all advisors to take a look at some of these newer structures as they really do offer access to, to the private equity investments, uh, you know, with a commitment as low as 25,000. Um, 
the growth in the and popularity in the structure also has created more transparency. Um, you really need, as an investor, investors want transparency into the assets that they own. And just because they're private, it doesn't mean that they have to have obscure information. So we've worked really hard again at BlackRock to provide transparency down to the asset level so people understand what they own. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, a, a follow-up question to that, given these new access points and fund structures, why is it, do you think, that individual wealth investors tend to be under-allocated to private equity versus their institutional peers? Yeah, I think that, I think there's a, you know, a, a long-dated history of people having this perception of risk, that they're riskier assets. And I will say you can't, you know, private equity gives the returns it does give because it is, you know, generally investing, you know, higher risk, higher return. But that said, we're really focused on building well-diversified portfolios that manage risk. And we believe diversification is a key risk mitigant. Um, also, I think that there is a fear of illiquidity of, oh my gosh, I'm going to actually need to access that money immediately. Um, but if you look at the average open-ended mutual fund holding periods over four years, so people are slowly hopefully realizing that maybe they don't need quite as much liquidity as they think they do. Um, uh, you know, and then I would just also say in order to access these, these, these types of funds, you know, most of the time you still need a financial advisor, a custodian, um, you know, and so there is some complexity in that. And so I just think we need more and more education on these structures and how they are becoming more and more accessible to, to, um, to, you know, the, the, you know, to individual investors, you know, with minimums of 25,000 who really want to access the space. It's all coming and everyone's really excited about it in the private equity space. You know, a lot of, a lot of managers are focused on this. Well, Lynn, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Again, I think a lot of people think about BlackRock as this behemoth asset manager across a lot of different business lines. You guys have built an amazing uh, practice, uh, private equity partner side of the business. And I would encourage everybody to uh, to explore what BlackRock can offer you from that perspective as well. But it's been a pleasure to have you on. It's always great to be able to talk to potential clients and uh, to brag about what we hopefully built here at Private Equity Partners. So thank you so much for having me today. Well, thank you again, Lynn. And thank you for everybody who tuned in to today's Salt Talk with Lynn Baranski from BlackRock. Just a reminder, if you missed any part of this episode or any of our previous episodes, they are all available free and on demand on our website at salt.org backslash talks on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube. And anywhere that you consume podcasts, you can listen to this interview in audio form. We're also on social media. Twitter is where we're most active at Salt Conference, but we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook as well. Uh, obviously, it's too late to sign up for Salt New York this year in September, uh, but we look forward to seeing you at a future Salt event, whether that be Salt Asia in Singapore Salt Middle East in Abu Dhabi, or uh, our Digital Assets Focus Conference in the Bahamas. But on behalf of the entire SALT team, this is John Darcy again, signing off for today. We hope to see you back here again soon.